All right, welcome to a special edition of the Toddcast. Uh, I have Racing Royalty with me, uh, Tom Waterhouse. Uh, I travelled out to Sydney. It's the first uh, episode of the Toddcast is out of the studio in sunny Melbourne in our St Kilda Road Towers building. Um, we've come here to the Rocks. Fantastic location for an office. Thank you. Uh, it's my first time in, uh, in Sydney, Tom. Actually, Tom, if you could just move just a tag closer. Yep. Yep, that'd be ideal. Perfect. So you want to keep it about a fist from your face um, and we should be uh, all good. But uh, thank you very much for, uh, for um, taking this interview with me. Um, we met on LinkedIn. Um, it was a brief message. Um, I was really curious to uh, what, uh, what, what struck you to, to say yes to the, uh, to the interview. Look, all the, um, the best people that I've, I've come across, a lot of them, not all of them, best people, a lot of them um, have just randomly touched base or have come into contact and we haven't really... Uh, said oh this is how something could work or they just said look I'm interested in this and if they're interested in something they normally do a good job and and when people reach out I, I normally just meet with them and if there's something that can work for them and work for me then we do it and if not well it's nice to have met them anyway. Because I will say I, I, was, I was actually quite surprised your response was so fast and so positive um, yeah. I will admit I probably went a little quiet because I was scared I didn't want to wreck the opportunity um, as I've only this is only my fifth episode uh, of oh, the cool. podcast so oh, well, uh, yeah thank you for reaching out well thank you very much and I guess it wasn't much of an introduction for yourself I was so keen to ask that question but uh, Tom you come from four generations of, of, of racing history and I believe doing uh, some of my research that your family was involved in actually bringing horses or thoroughbreds to Australia is that right? yeah they were so uh First thoroughbreds and, and obviously a long history on both sides. My great-grandfather, grandfather, dad were all bookies and, and my mum, obviously a horse trainer, her dad was a horse trainer and, yeah. and I think his dad was involved in some way, whether yeah. it was training or something to do with horses. So, yeah, long history on both sides. It's funny when you say that they were a horse trainer. They're not just horse trainers. They're superstars of our industry with TJ Smith and, and Gay Waterhouse. Um, you know, I had an uncle that was a horse trainer in Ballarat. Yeah. I would say he's a horse trainer. <laughs> um, but they're absolutely, you know, well, uh, TJ Smith was what the most successful. Um, he's had the uh, most group one wins of any Australian horse trainer. Yeah. So yeah, it was, uh, it's funny growing up, I didn't appreciate, uh, obviously his achievements really at all, or, or my mum and what she was doing. I, th I thought, oh, racing, it's just so boring. <laughs> Family never stopped talking about horses. And, and then it wasn't really until I got into, I was first year uni, my dad said, look, can you come and, would you want to come and help me one day out at the races? And, and I, I went to the track and then within a few minutes of being there, I just went, this is incredible. And it was, it was sort of like the, the stock market used to be in that there was just so much money traded and so much action and, and money flying everywhere and people saying to win whatever you want or to win $100,000. And just, I, I just couldn't believe that this was happening and I never knew about it and and once I got into that side of the betting side of of racing then I suddenly got the bug for racing and just loved it and and obviously came to fully appreciate um how important it is and why and why the family's so obsessed with it and been in it for such a long time and now my mum drives me crazy because she says look <laughs> you can come over dinner with yeah, your dad and me, but I just do not want you to talk horses or odds and sods <laughs> because all you want to do is is talk about uh, talk about that. So it's funny how it's sort of come full circle. 
Yeah, yeah, funny. And it, it, it is a funny thing that we feel in our families, a bit of pressure, especially, uh, I guess, if you've had success with, with grandparents and so forth and parents uh, to take the, the reins. I believe you, you studied university, you studied ec- economics, is that right? Or? Yeah, so I studied commerce, um, uh, double degree actually commerce and, and liberal studies and, and but majored in, in finance and marketing and, and thought that I would go into some um, sort of financial type role and... Yep. and uh, um, but then sort of when I went to the track, I went, this is amazing. And my dad was a little bit hesitant. He's like, look, it's not like it used to be <laughs> when I was um, a kid. And, and But his dad used to say the same thing to him, you know. So there's uh, the heyday of, of betting and bookmaking and racing. Well, it was the only form of gambling, um, yep. going to the track to bet with a bookie before the tab came in uh, 50 years ago, yep. 40, years, 40, 50 years ago. And... and so obviously it was far bigger from a track point of view, but uh, I was very lucky in that um, I saw the beginnings of the internet and yeah. suddenly you've got a far bigger group of people or pool of people to bet with through the internet. And, and yes, yeah, so I was lucky in many ways because it was dying uh, every week. The, the track attendance was going down and the turnover on track was going down. So I can see why they were wary. Um, I know my grandmother, uh, she was so upset when she heard that I was, uh, <laughs> after university, going to be a full-time bookie. So, yeah, she was, uh, she was devastated, but, yeah, I'm so lucky. It's, it's really interesting, uh, the challenges that you face along the way and how your, your business has, has grown and, and changed and, and evolved into to what it is today. I guess throughout the generations in your family, they would have all experienced a similar uh, disruption in the industry. So your grandfather, everything was on track, you know, the rails at Randwick was a huge scene. And then uh, pubs and clubs started to have the ability to have TABs or, or, or betting facilities. So then your dad kind of went through that transition as well. Yeah. And then you entered into the market and then you had the, I guess, the launch of the internet where what 3G, the iPhone, all these sorts of things is in your pocket. It was so easy to bet. It's amazing that like you can see obviously the famous thing of all the companies that were on the Fortune 500 or Forbes 500 or whatever 40 years ago. There's very few that are still on, on there now. And, and it, I think for most people, unlike big companies, it's actually much smaller cycles. And, and I know with my uh, great-grandfather and when my grandfather was growing up, they were doing very well. They had the best performing pub license in the state uh, at the bottom of the foot of the bridge in Kirribilli and they had the coal and coke business and they had the ferry going from the city to North Sydney or Kirribilli and then the bridge was built and suddenly went over where their pub was it went from being the best performing to the worst performing Uh, obviously electricity mainstream for the coal and coke and and then for the uh, ferry service well not as many people went on the ferry service because they had the bridge now and and that just changed like that and suddenly they went from doing very well to middle of the depression business not working not working the way they did and but so it happens not in just racing it happens across all businesses you've just got to constantly be looking at looking ahead and i saw that with um uh, the building that um on track business up working with my grandfather and building that up we went from having the worst stand on course to being the biggest bookies in australia we were holding sort of six million dollars a day and and betting really big and that was a great business and then suddenly as you said 3g came out the iphone came out and within a year 2008 2009 the turnover just went through the floor and then moved to being off track to being in a uh, an office and just a telephone business and that was a that was a good business in that um 
we had access to the internet through the through the office and we could trade because Betfair and a lot of these corporates came in and that was a, a really nice trading sort of business but then suddenly all the corporates didn't want a, a more savvy customer trading large volume with them and that business um, was not as good as one once was and then the internet um, obviously took off and TomWaterhouse.com went from a few hundred clients to a quarter of a million clients in 18 months it was a massive growth but then what was a business that you could run quite lean um, you needed massive marketing budgets because you had the likes of William Hill and Ladbrokes and Paddy Power Bet365 all come into the Australian market spending big money but you also needed significant technology budget because they had global systems and technology systems that were able to offer a more superior service and, and a wider array of products than what we were offering. So that suddenly went from being a good business to a business that needed a lot more investment in terms of money into it. And, um, and then you see the full circle in some ways in that now on-course bookies uh, have got a big advantage again because now they can offer... Um, $30 million, up to $30 million worth of credit and, and they have less tax to pay because they don't have to pay the port and consumption if they're under a certain threshold and they have less uh, race fields tax to pay if they're under a threshold and so they have a pricing advantage now. So there's always, the, the landscape's always changing and, and it's always, and I, I forget it many often, is that you can only do a certain amount internally. You've also got to be looking out externally what's happening to the external landscape and and how are those the dynamics changing and, and are you aware of them? And um, it's hard to be across them all. Yeah, exactly. Some really good points there. And I, I want to talk about scaling your business a, a little bit later, but going back to your on-track uh, days, one of my favorite stories I've heard you tell, and I'd love for you to share it again here on the podcast, is uh, one of your first encounters with John Singleton, uh, with, Sing, with Singo. Um, yeah, so, so John Singleton was always um, a big but quite sa- savvy punter, um, years i know my dad when he was a, a young bookie starting out he john singleton um would would be betting with him and and he was always pretty pretty hard to beat but i i knew him as a big pun and we were starting out and we we're very small we were uh, it's uh, my grandfather came back out of retirement basically to teach me the art of art of bookmaking and i'd been working with my uh with my dad the previous few years and working out at the dogs and and learned so much, obviously, because my dad's a form genius, learning the way he analyzes races, trades races, takes a certain position. And my grandfather was very different. And I think my dad thought it was nice to have both um, lessons from both him and my, and my grandfather. So my grandfather came back to teach me, and we had the worst stand, and, and would be lucky to hold maybe 10, 20,000 on a Saturday. So very, very small win thousand two thousand dollars to begin with because we had no clients and we had the worst stand not as much cash and uh we slowly were building it up and i thought oh there's john singleton and uh he's obviously a big customer a big um punter and if i could get him on board then I've, we've suddenly got a good customer and obviously he knows the family and, and all this stuff so he's walking across to the rails and you've got the really big bookies at the time you've got harry barrett ba- sorry harry barrett concaftaris Charlie Damore, Bill Hurley, all these sort of big bookies in the in the Sydney interstate ring, and uh, I see him walking over, and I charge over from the outer, and I'm like, "Oh, Mr. Singleton, um, it's Tom Waterhouse, and uh, I'm working with my grandfather. And look, if you're going to have a bet today, um, we'd love to have a bet with us, and there'd be no problem. Whatever you need, it'd be fine." And he's like, "Oh, well, 
I have 10,000 on uh, Belle de Jour. And it was in the straight race at Flemington and uh, it was about 10 to 1 at the time. I'm like, oh, yeah, 10,000. And my grandfather's all excited because he, like, the bigger they bet, the happier he was. He didn't, he would never knock back a, a bet. And, but the rest of our book might be taking out $800 or $1,000 and we have one horse taking out 100000 and and uh, didn't like it on, on the form and but we were completely wrong and it, it won the race and, and lost $100,000 and I was like, oh, we're never going to be able to win this back. This is the... This is uh, this is a nightmare. This is the whole year gone. What a nightmare! And my grandfather was—he's like, this is a fantastic moment because he always thought whenever we had big losses, he's like, look, if you've reached that milestone in betting at a certain level, you and you can stomach it, it's like building battle scars or building muscle, and you'll be able to bet that big again. You won't be scared of betting. You'll you'll be able to rise to being a, a bigger bookie. So he was happy as happy as Larry and. John Singleton, uh, uh, I said, oh, well, look, would you like a check? And he's like, oh, no, I want it in cash. And I said, well, we don't have that much cash, but I'll drop it in on Monday. So to go and get $100,000 from the bank on Monday morning and, and got it all ready and went into his office and they said, I'll wait there. And so I'm sitting there waiting and waiting and he comes out 20 minutes later and, and had the bag of, of cash. And he's like, <laughs> don't be ridiculous. I was joking. Give me, give me a check. I'm like, oh, okay, okay, thanks. And then left. <laughs> but... um. Yeah, I always thought it was it was funny, but also a great great moment in that um, it, it does make a big difference being able to stomach losses and 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 obviously I was in a really fortunate position in that I couldn't have got two better mentors um, in my dad and my grandfather and, and also to have the financial backing because you've got to have the money behind you to be able to. It's one thing to be able to stomach the losses, but you've got to be in a position to to pay for them. What was the time period around that? What year was that? That was early 2000s? Or? Early 2000s. My grandfather came back, I think, in 2002, 2003 maybe. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, that would have been around that around that time, maybe a year or two later or something. And yeah. Um, yeah. I was always fascinated. Uh, look, being an avid race, uh, racing fan myself, uh, not much of a punter, I tend to lose. I'm probably in that target market where they want me on board, the betting companies. Um, but... I've always been interested is on track that it's there is an allure to it uh something about chatting to the guy you're putting it you're placing a bet on and so forth and how do you win that business like i know that's it's old hat now to a sense but how did you win that business at the time i, I guess you, you I know think, approaching um, people or so we were very we tried never to knock back any bets yeah um from the rank and file like customers not the professionals obviously the professionals we used to bet them bigger than they could get most places but yeah. our whole thing we were had a big advantage in that rob was a, he's a form genius yeah and crampo bill want to bet uh, so we could be um first of all trying to be great customer service always like come back to us if i saw one of our punters going somewhere else, I'd be like what do you need what trying to be on the front foot we were able to be aggressive on pricing because we had rob doing the doing the form for us and crampo bill always into me going bet big you've got to bet big and bet up and i was like oh no small fish is sweet and he's like it's the most ridiculous thing i've ever heard <laughs> um he's like you've got to bet up and and so we were aggressive quite aggressive on the horses that we we didn't like um we bet everyone that wasn't professional basically whatever they wanted and we bet the professionals bigger than what they were getting most other places um and we were aggressive in trading so if we laid stuff that we liked to a customer we'd be very quick to bet back with other bookies had a 
you really made use of the telephone to like bet with interstate book he's got a network of whole bookies around australia that will allow us to lay off yep uh and then we introduced a product that most of the bookies didn't offer uh, starting price guarantee so if you bet with us uh and took the fixed price and it drifted you get that price and very few bookies on course um offered that and uh we offered that to everyone even the professionals so that was a big thing if if you weren't sure whether to take the price especially on the interstate um well back the pro- take the price with us when you think it's the right price and yep. if it blows you've got the starting price guaranteed which was a point of difference okay yeah so look a, a lot of uh, a lot of my listeners probably don't understand how bookie operates so you were saying there that you, you would take bets and then also bet against uh those bets with other bookies so if you could just quickly so describe that, it, how that works let's say um an example of alligator blood we alligator blood's racing in a week in a certain race coming up and you've got to mark two dollars but the market has it marked three dollars good customer comes along like let's say john singleton comes along and he says look i want to have a hundred thousand dollars on it at three dollars well we want john singleton to always bet with us so we're like you've got a hundred thousand at three dollars but we've got to mark two dollars and we said well look we we believe the market's uh hasn't got the right price for this horse so we'll trade it. So we'll offload that 100000 instead of the customer. We're just taking the bet. But we might not want to keep the whole 100000 because it's way over what we think it is. We'll only keep 20000 of it. So we will use our network of um, bookmakers that we built up around Australia, all the bookies on course, to back it back with them. Yep. And the weight of money and coming from another bookie usually would reduce the price. So alligator blood would come from $3 into maybe $2.50 or $2.20 or might even further. And suddenly, the bookies have laid it all at those prices, and we go. Actually, well, now it's got down to a price that we think is reasonable. We'll be top odds again, and hopefully, we'll lay it at a much shorter price. Yep. So yeah, so it's just continuously trading and, and keeping yeah. an eye on, and it creates a marketplace. Obviously, money coming it, in and money going out. It, it did, and again, like changing times in that, uh, Betfair coming in really shifted the advantage towards the punter for a period of time because uh, there most punters don't know when to bet. And so Betfair, when it first came in, gave you an indication of when to take the fixed odds with the bookies because when the market was coming towards the fixed price on Betfair, you go, well, I better bet now, otherwise the price is going to go in. And But what it gave us as a trading bookie and a bookie that had form and was turning over lots of money, we could really shape the market. So Betfair coming in and us having access to it uh, was a huge advantage um, for a period of time. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. So, uh, Tom, we're, I guess moving along a little bit now, uh, you, we now get to like 2008, 2009, and we, we touched on it earlier, the internet, the power of the internet, the internet age came out. Um, I believe you made a, a move to Melbourne as the regulations or, or things were, were different. Um, I remember walking past your offices at the Valley. Yeah. Um, but yeah, tell me a little bit about the reasoning behind the move to Melbourne and, and, and what that entailed. Well, race fields um, came in in New South Wales, and that was an increase in, in tax and, and Obviously, we were very low margin operators, so the on-course bookies in that an internet bookie might operate at 12, 13% margin uh, now or over 10%. An on-course bookie would do a good job operating anywhere between 2 and 5% margin. So when they suddenly increased it from 1 to 1.5, we're like, well, that's a significant increase in, in what we have to pay. And because we were interstate bookies, not offering a market or a visible market on New South Wales racing, we thought there was a good case that we didn't have to pay race fields at the time. And... That proved correct. We actually won a, the court case on on, uh, on that, and they changed the way the race fields was was drafted. But while that court case was going, 
I moved down to Melbourne because if in case we got it wrong, I didn't want to fall foul of the, the rules. And so I moved down to Melbourne. I had a license. Luckily, um, my dad pushed me to get a license in 2007 when there was equine influenza and said, you should have a license in Melbourne as well. And I used to go down for the night, meet, night meetings. But when this court case was going on, I'm like, well, I'll go down and operate it out of Melbourne. And, and so I ended up short-term stay. I thought it would only be there for a few weeks or a month or whatever. Moved down to Melbourne and stayed at Crown Casino. Ended up staying there for four years. And the reason being is that the tax environment was more friendly in Melbourne. Um, you're allowed to, as an on-course bookmaker, have access to the internet, which was a huge advantage then. And um, also, um, I could offer products you couldn't offer in New South Wales, a product like Best Tote. And so basically what I did is I every punter I knew in a, sorry, New South Wales, I'd call up and say, well, look, I can offer these products for you. I can offer Best Tote. I can offer more aggressive pricing. I can offer best flux, best of the best, everything under the sun. Got a lot of clients from New South Wales, but I also had this pool of new clients in Victoria. They're like, who's this young bookie from New South Wales? We're going to try and beat him. And the business <laughs> really um, took off and was a, it was a really good business for, for a period. And then the on-course business shifted, obviously, as we talked about with the, um, the change in technology and the change in advertising laws um, when... Uh, that court case was one allowing uh, corporate bookmakers to advertise across state lines. Yeah. One of my uh, favorite things about uh, about your time and uh, when I was doing a little bit of study and, and just knowing the industry and so forth um, was your ability to disrupt. Um, and disruption is something uh, in business I, I, I look at. I want to look how I can disrupt a, a segment and so forth. And the way that you come onto the scene, it was like overnight – uh, Tom Waterhouse was on our screens every day. He was uh, before our footy games, before the tennis, uh, with both codes of footy and so forth. And I guess that um, now we're still seeing your DNA um, in all the ads of Sportsbed and and all the you know they're still doing these live reads and so forth. Like, what was your decision to to move to TV? How how did that you know, come about? There was probably three three bits to it. Is that we didn't know how much money we were going to spend on TomWaterhouse.com when we started it. Um, we just knew that we had to have an internet offering for our clients because they were moving to the internet. And then I went on TVN with my mum at Mooney Valley one night. They just said, oh, come on for a few minutes. And they mentioned, oh, what are you up to now? And I said, oh, we've launched TomWaterhouse.com. It's an internet betting site. It's doing this and this. And we got signups spiked. When I say sign-ups spiked, we might have got like 20 new clients. Yeah. But I was like, gosh, 20 new clients. I just went on that. Maybe this TV thing's... Um, worth giving a go my brother-in-law was working at channel nine at the time they couldn't sell uh to a wagering operator the rugby world cup um and so we end up getting that at what channel nine said was a large discount but (laughs) i don't know know how much for discount it actually actually was and we got that and that that worked well in terms of signups and and then we uh, a company called bet 24 7 um they used uh, the back end of a company that went in liquidation and they no longer could, they were relying on this company to provide them the pricing and the betting, betting system and that went down and so they needed to, they wanted to offload that business quickly and we went in to talk with them on a Friday afternoon and we ended up signing the deal with them at two or three o'clock in the morning on a Saturday to buy their business from them. And the business, the real um, great bits about that business were is the founder of that business was a very savvy um, marketeer and, and 
uh, had built several businesses and done a great job building them up. And he'd bought up with Bet 24-7 a whole bunch of media rights. So he bought like the regional AFL, the tennis, uh, regional rugby league, a whole bunch of regional yep. sports properties. And so we suddenly had them and started putting our ads on on these programs and realized it was it worked really well. And we thought, well, there's only, it seems live sports, the only um, thing that's really working uh, with TV spend, because we tried some general spend, and there's only a certain amount of it. Really, Australians only watch AFL, rugby league, maybe a, a bit of racing, maybe a bit of cricket and the tennis for a couple of weeks. Yep. And we saw all these overseas operators coming in and we thought, well, if there's only a certain amount of it, we need to buy up as much as possible. And um, and that was really um, our, our thinking behind it and, and it and it worked well. Obviously, the business grew through the roof. I believe the, uh, NRL, the NRL deal that you did was quite opportunistic in terms of uh, TAB had the, the NRL coverage and then you kind of come in last minute or yeah, look, how so, did that work? Um, uh, I just sort of thought I'd touch base in that we were looking for new um, properties all the time and there's only a certain amount and, and obviously basketball was really um, big from a client betting point of view and I yep. thought, well, I'll just go and speak to the TV executives and see, well, what other properties coming about? Are they thinking about other sports? Is there stuff that we could have integrated content on and stuff like that? And um David Gingell, uh, who ran Channel Lines, a genius in this area of um, what works on TV, what are people going to watch, how to integrate stuff. And so anytime you can get with him and just to listen and learn uh, is valuable. And I didn't really have an agenda except just to chew the fat and lucky to get some, some time um, speaking with him. And it got onto the subject of, look, we'd love to have rugby league. Is there any chance of getting? He's like, look, there's no chance. Tab's had it for years and... Um, and uh, the chance of getting it is basically they're going to renew it. And, and I said, well, look, what about if they don't renew it? Would something like this look attractive that we do a five-year deal, um, pay $60 million for it, have all the ad spend that they do, but we'll, the extra stuff we're paying for is to be integrated um, and have a segment just before they kick off of this is what's happening in betting this week and have like a – and he's like – look, that sounds a great idea. If you could pay us that amount of money and and just Tab didn't renew, well, we'd be very interested. But they're probably going to renew and yeah, and didn't give much more thought. And I said, oh, what day are they going? Is their renewal date? And so I noted it down and, and called at five o'clock that, that day and they hadn't renewed. They, obviously, yep. they didn't realise it was a tight timeline. And I said, look, we're willing to sign now five, five years with this integration. And uh, he's like, yep great we'll do it and so we saw, we agreed on, on on the deal and and that was probably i don't know september or something uh, in 2012 but what i hadn't i'd never really spent much time on tv i've been on like dancing with the stars tv show yeah. a little bit and yeah. i've been on a few integration but nothing really like live talking about a sport i don't really follow rugby league i used to follow it when like the broncos when i was a kid and alfie langer when he used to play but it had been yeah. 10 years of not watching rugby league and i I don't know it like anywhere in the same realm as someone that's played the game or anything like that. I'm not some expert on it. And I got closer and closer, sort of got to January and I'm like, actually, I'm freaking out a bit. I've got to go on for five (laughs) minutes on TV before the main rugby league game and talk about rugby league and sport, which is very different to talking about racing. Yeah. And um, so they go and gave me a test run and a guy called Steve Crawley who ran um, 
the sport at Channel 9, he got me in front of the camera and gave me a few goes. And after 10, 15 minutes, he said, look, in all my time um, doing sport uh, on TV, I've never seen anyone with less talent than you. <laughs> yeah. And I think we're in for a real world of pain. Oh, wow. I've got to think about it. And so they came back and said, look, we can't have you for five minutes at the very beginning just by yourself. What we'll do is we'll put you on the commentary panel and that means if you forget what you're talking about or you don't know, you've got this support system that they can help you. So you'll be there for five minutes, but you won't have, it's just you. And then after a few weeks, we'll go more to you to you, so, so we comply with the deal. Well, it kicked off and, and the backlash, oh, we'd had basically all good publicity up until this point, but the backlash was significant because... Um, I was integrated on their content, looking like I was a rugby league expert or something. Yep. And uh, that wasn't the intention. It was only because my lack of, of skill in terms of pre- <laughs> presenting. And, yep. um, and so we never actually got to where I had my five minutes of uh, alone time <laughs> on TV. It was more just uh, that we tried that for a bit and, and backlash was significant. And, and then obviously there was, looked like there was going to be change in legislation the way that you can advertise and market and and we, um, we pulled back and adapted significantly from that. Yeah, so with that launch of the, the TV stuff, what did that actually do for your business? Did that really rocket your business? Because I believe you were quite a tight, tighter uh, company and then it kind of expanded quite quickly. Yeah, so the business um, grew in sort of that 18-month period from like a few hundred customers to a quarter of a million um, customers from like wow. there was maybe three to five of us at the beginning to over 100 people in the in the business so it was a really quick growth um but yeah the advertising it was funny the more there was um backlash about the advertising the lower our cost per acquisition and the faster our customer growth and and uh, you sort of hear that there's never any bad publicity like no like no publicity is bad publicity whatever that sorry i probably got mixed up but the um in a way it's in a way, it's true, or at least it was true in that circumstance in that the backlash was significant. And from a, uh, my wife would be like, oh my gosh, Tom, this is a nightmare. <laughs> but all these <laughs> negative comments, my feed's full off of this. And, yeah. But from a business standpoint, it was, it was a very um, big growth phase in terms yeah. of, um, because it was topical, people were talking about it. Yeah. Look, uh, one thing that I, I really wanted to dive into is um, scaling businesses and talk about that with you. Um, Look, across my, my business journey, um, I've just bumped into people across the way that just seem to know how to scale a business. And there's some people that will show up and be slow and steady. And then there's some people that they just blow up like week on week, month on month. And I, I've only I've met like a handful of people that have this, but there's some characteristics about them that are quite particular. What, what do you think that is in you? And what do you think that DNA was for you to expand? I know obviously having the publicity was helpful, but to make that decision is you've got to have something in you to make that decision. Like how did, what, what's in you that you think makes you scale so big? Well, I like to bet. And I'm not a, I'm not a gambler as such. Like I, to me to have a, if, haven't done the form on racing or to go and have a, a bet i would never bet at a casino like go and play like pokey machine or something yep. um and i wouldn't go and have a bet on a race that i didn't have the form on or hadn't analyzed but it's calculated bets whether it's in business or in betting on horses it, it's all about taking calculated bets and for if you see a business that's got the dynamics of or the characteristics of 
having significant growth, then you're taking a calculated bet. And we were seeing in um, TomWaterhouse.com, we were seeing that customers were worth this much and the cost to get them was this much. And so you don't know when you're taking the next bet whether that will continue, but the odds are slightly in your, in your favor because you've got information about how that Correct. business yep. is, is performing and how the industry is performing. And, and so uh, I'm willing to, to gamble or bet, bet up if I think the odds are in my favor. And, um, and if you take that bet, if you can scale quickly if you're right. And if you're, yep. not, if you're not right, you need to make sure that you never, you're managing your bankroll and you're staking in business or in normal betting that you don't go out of play because if yeah. if you take too many bets and that you're suddenly out of play it's very it's almost impossible to come yeah. back so you need to take a series of calculated bets that you can never go broke or never run out of your bankroll um, yeah. and and look for where you can have big wins and that's i try and make sure that we're lean and nimble enough to change quickly because i've seen just in my short business career uh, well on-course business, New South Wales changed to on-course business in Victoria, changed to telephone business that was great, that changed to an internet business that was great, that changed to corporate businesses that in Australia changed because the tax to now into a, a tipping business and running a, a gambling fund. It's all these businesses, they, they change. And they and so you need to be nimble enough that when they change, you not haven't got a, a noose around your neck that you've got these huge costs that yep. weigh you down and that you can keep taking bets and try and go in different directions that um that you can get great growth yeah i think that's it's a really important message in, in that calculated risk and, and doing the analysis on that it's funny on my instagram i put out before i was uh, before i came i put out to uh, my instagram I'm, I'm meeting tom waterhouse is there any questions that you'd like to ask him or, or, or what, what what was it and there was a bit of a theme that people were saying, well, oh, his information is no good or this, that, and whatever the case is. And I was on one of your programs and I found that I the only time it messed up is when I went outside of it. So I either changed the, changed the staking or I took uh, parts of it. So like uh, I was on one of the gold program where yeah. you, you get the thing. And then so like I'd take maybe like the first two races and I wouldn't take the last whatever. And then I'd notice your post the week the week before and you go oh we went 30 plus units and but the 10 units i was involved in it didn't happen and i could see how that comes about how do you handle that like do you, with your feedback because you do put a holistic program together this is really hard and it's hard in whether it's betting business life and yep. and that's discipline and if historically our packages have been terrific like the results are all on our site you can yeah. go through the google spreadsheets if you follow the staking plan if you get on it, whether it's the price tipped, the best price after it's tipped, or if you just take uh, best of the best on most of our packages, yeah. uh, the results, they speak for themselves. But the problem is, is that you go, well, look, I think Tom could be wrong here. I'll just not, won't do that one. Or I won't follow it exactly as planned. Or look, I haven't got enough time today, so I'll just miss this week. Yeah. And we can have periods like our daily best bet package. He lost 15 days in a row. And people are like, how can you lose 15 days in a row <laughs> when you're tipping like our average price of the daily best bet is three bucks? Yeah, okay. So how are you tipping a short, like a favorite every day yeah. and you're going 15 days? You must be like, this is, you've got no idea. Yeah. But we won on that month and we, obviously we've won significantly over over the period. But 
you're going to have a run of outs and you've just got to make sure that what you're doing is you're on the right path. You've, the factors haven't changed. And the way we monitor that is we are constantly updating the factors and back, back modeling and back testing. But we're looking at how much we consistently beat the market, beat the starting price. Yep. But I find that myself. I'm like, I try and play lady luck. You know, I'm like, oh, I'm going to make these investments rather than following a exact formula and sticking to it. I'm like, yep. oh, I missed that. So I'll leave that out. Or oh, that's gone down. I'll have a bit more on this. Yep. Know? And you've got to go, look, this is what i'm planning to do and i have the discipline to stick to what your plan is from the outset and if you deviate from the plan you've got to have be very well thought through is this intentional and am i giving this enough of a chance to stick with it for a period of time and and that's why bankroll is so important like we can have the worst pot we can on a gold on a saturday not back one winner yep and do eight percent of bankroll and everyone's like oh this has been the worst day of all time and i'm like well yeah it's obviously if I get back a winner but <laughs> yeah. it's 8% of your bankroll and we were up 200 units the week, you know in a week before yeah. you know it's a, and that they don't think of it like that they're obviously not staking correctly and following and the reason being is it's difficult and that's yeah. why it's so hard to whether it's to be successful in punting or successful in business it's, it's hard yeah and um, I, you know, I know myself outside of the discipline of betting on horse racing I find it much harder to employ that discipline that I promote within this because this yep. is my core business. But when it comes to things outside that, I don't have nearly the same discipline as what I can have in my core. Yeah, okay, great. And I guess there's a yeah, big lesson to be learned in that. And I did kind of find that in the end. I would like go through what I did that day and I'm like, well, I did, didn't follow the formula. That one's on me. Um, and I, I've spent many a time uh, chatting with some of my mates about, uh, about that as well because... I guess the average punter just they go into it uh, blindly. It's more the the thrill or the chase of those particular wins and and yeah. so forth. But uh, yeah, one thing that um, I wanted to also discuss with you, Tom, I was just mention sorry, on that go ahead. Is, is that most people view punting as entertainment? Yes, yeah. And big. entertainment, I have no discipline when I go to the movies. You know what I mean? If I want chock top, I'm like, actually, I'd like to. Yeah, of and course. I'll have popcorn yeah. and I'll have a large fan and I have a whatever. Yeah, and well. like. I'm out to enjoy like I don't I don't think okay have I just spent this on this or a, a strict budget because I'm like I only go to the movies maybe once every couple of months yeah whatever I'll just enjoy myself and a lot of people that are punting they're just going well I want to have a crack on a Saturday and have a few bets and I don't want to stick out five races and not bet on them because I'm there and I'm not doing it for work I'm doing it for entertainment and that's the difference between what we promote and what most people do. And that's why I think a lot of people find it difficult at the beginning because they're like, I don't want this discipline about around what I find fun and entertaining. But that's fine. It just depends what you're viewing it as. If you're viewing it as uh, an entertainment thing and just having a few bets, then it probably isn't for you, this package or these packages. But if you're viewing it actually like, I want to do it, I enjoy it, but I also want to go through the discipline and the mental... Um, like challenge of beating the bookies then it's uh, it's it's it probably is the right thing yeah well that that does put a, a another spin on it and i think just from when you said that related to that massively um the i guess the motivation behind it is entertainment but then 
you have the allure of money. So you automatically get fogged to think that you're doing it for some extra cash. But yeah. in actual fact, you are, you know, you're sitting around with your mates on your phone or you, you, yeah, your social thing. Yeah. And it, it's huge. It's huge enjoyment. Yeah. So yeah, yeah that, 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 that is, that is quite interesting that you put it that way. I, that's given me a new perspective on, on, on that as well. Um, Tom, one of the things that I loved is your, um, your branding. Now, when, look, Australia's had a, a really close culture with betting and a really close culture with, um, you know, with a bookmaker and so forth. I'm talking like 60s and 70s. And then like the TAB doesn't really have an identity. Um, what was your decision to keep your name in your business and what was your decision to, to, to stick with that? Look, uh, we always thought that bookies were known by their name. I know as a kid, I used to like, oh, cold tidy. And I don't know why, I just, whether it was written about in the papers or my dad or whoever talked about him, I'm like, cold tidy. When I go to the race, I'm going to bet with him. Yeah. And, um, and you always knew of the bookies by their, by their name. And in the UK, I knew of Victor Chandler and, and William Hill and Paddy Power. They were individual names. Now, and I thought, well, why in Australia are they going, they all sound the same. It was sports bets, sports betting, TAB, sports bet. I'm like, they just sound weird to me. Like, they sound normal now because they're yeah. everywhere. But at the time, I was like... And um, so we always thought we would keep as an individual name. And, and really, the way that the brand uh, evolved were two, two things. Firstly, based on me as an individual, I, like my best... Uh, mate when I was a kid his, I used to go over to watch movies at his house and I'd be dressed very similar to, to this and, and my <laughs> his mum would be like look um, Dave uh, why can't you dress more like Tom and he's like um, we're 12 and he's in a suit he's a weirdo what are you talking about <laughs> like why would I dress like him and just before and, you carry on there so that was a usual get up a suit in 12 like where I, I, did that I come not, from I might not have been like in a tie and yeah, yeah. But, but always Very smart. like like slacks and shirt like business shirt and, yeah. and I think mainly because I used to borrow my dad's clothes I yeah I, I used to I grew quite early maybe not twelve but but by maybe fourteen or fifteen I could fit into my dad's clothes where it wasn't completely ridiculous obviously they were a bit yeah. big but um but yeah I wore a lot of my dad's clothes as a kid and yeah. um and then um and then the next thing was my aunt was um. A marketing genius she was she uh, got the like university medal at new south wales university yeah. in in marketing and and uh, she was amazing at um making the brand have the look and the feel yeah. it has now so taking that personal um that personal what the way i act is you have to be true to yourself yeah but really um making it uh, like she did an amazing job with those ads and that look and feel and yeah. and the four generations and uh, just really savvy in uh, in the way she built that persona yeah. into the brand and yeah because from, from my perspective it really touches on the archetype of every man um, and it feels like you are betting with Tom even even when you're betting online and so forth, it tends to lose that flair, but it almost that whole thing, it felt like you, you are betting with time and even your advice or tips, even then when you pick selections and so forth, it was, yeah. you're getting waterhouse information. And I guess that ties in with it, with the family and that works and that archetype of every man that kind of, it, it sat really well where you, you, you bet with a tab, who's the tab or who's sports bet. And like, the, the, yeah, how good was it? Like, even though I, you liked your bookie, yeah, but 
like when you win, win off your booking, you're like, oh, he must be having a tough night tonight. Oh, I've got him big today. <laughs> and like, I, I know that some of the biggest wins we've had, I still think about it. I'm like, I wonder what such and such bookie, like how he felt going home that night or what, like, or when like they yeah. say, oh, well, look, I'll need a few weeks to pay or uh, it's just the <laughs> dynamics of playing the man against the man. And, and they probably like, well, they think the same as like, oh, what? had him on the on the ropes tonight and that yeah. punter he's on the chat like it was a real man against man and that was lost in the corporates because the corporates like it just doesn't even touch the like yeah ceo of like a large corporate unless you are like some whale that's like the average punter they don't know you know yeah, and, exactly. and that's uh that's the difference i tried to keep that because i know i like like when i go to royal ascot uh I bet with a, an individual bookie and I, I yeah. love betting up with him and he probably loves it. I'm like, I have to write him a check at the end or he has to write me a check. It's, it's great, yeah. you know, or like um, that, that's what's betting it about. That's sort of like when you bet with your mates. So like it's, it's huge, yeah. It's you against them and, and that, that's sort of been lost, I think, in, in corporate world and, um, and we tried to keep that. The only thing that I saw about your brand and so forth, the downside was that you you did come across that backlash and then it becomes personal rather than a company like for example when there was a lot of groups crying out that betting shouldn't be before sport like kids shouldn't know the odds like and now it's common terminology where you'll talk in the playground or you go oh i think you know carlton's going to win this week you know the the but the bookies have them at 12 points at the line like you know, they don't think it's going to be as close. And I guess it's it's now such common discuss, discussion. And you did cop a, a bit of backlash with that. How did you cope and deal with that? And I, It was, for me, I always, like, as long as my family, like, loves me and my wife loves me and my kids yeah. love me, like, I, I never really think, um, or it's sort of like water off a duck's back when it comes to yeah. um, what external people think. I know the only time it sort of impacted was when, it impacted my wife. So like we'd be at the movies during that time and I, people would go like every name under the sun or on a plane or something. Yeah. And that was because it was really topical at the time and it was um, before Tab had been doing very similar things in terms of the way they were advertised. But it had never been an individual that you suddenly go, well, why is that young like kid like that some upstart like telling me and telling us we should be betting on this and he's in our face. And, and also I've been so lucky with like upbringing and family and yeah. so many benefits that the average punter or person doesn't have yeah. and they're like this guy's like been born with a silver spoon and he's telling us all this stuff <laughs> and he's trying to make a stack of money out of it like yeah. I don't really like that bloke at all yeah. and I I completely get you get that and on the counter we were just trying to grow a business within the laws and regulations of the time yeah. and knew that it would get far bigger and at a very fast rate and try and get ahead of it and which it did and um it's very fine line in terms of um and with kids obviously like in in terms of um yeah you you never want to be getting kids into something like until they're the right age of 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 doing it and you never want them to have any sort of problems whether it's gambling or anything else under the sun so I guess that's a, an education piece, and I think the um, I think that was a, a really good learning period for the industry as a whole because yeah. the landscape's dramatically changed since that time. Um, it's interesting when I was a kid um, at school, 
and they asked me to come in. Not well, I was it, obviously they're not to come in, but they asked me to bring some of my um, race videos, and I got from my dad. And, and we actually spent quite a few maths lessons at school watching the races to um, to talk about probability. And, it, <laughs> and it's really interesting. I find that because I look at everything, yeah, there wouldn't be one thing uh, I don't look from a probability standpoint. Like whether it's driving to work, crossing the road business decisions to uh, I don't know virus outbreaks or whatever yeah. I always am thinking in probably what chance what probability what percentage chance is this of happening if this if I do this 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 and this yeah. and probability and, and thinking and betting as long as you've got the discipline that you don't get caught in, in yeah. problem gambling and, and wasting your money away it, but it, thinking from a statistical point of view and from a probability standpoint yeah. is such an advantage I feel in business and also in life yeah. and it doesn't mean you're always going to get the probability right but weighing up all the factors and trying to understand well what is the likelihood of that actually happening yep and what should i be doing in that circumstance is a really nice framework i find in looking at every looking at things across the board it's it's funny you mentioned that the the learning uh, and the the racing industry and the odds and so forth. We have a la- I have a laugh with a few friends sometimes, and uh, I'll say, oh, you know, what's fifteen times thirty? And they'll sit there and take a while to think about it. I go, well, if you had a fifteen dollar winner and you had thirty dollars you know, on it, how much do you get? And they work that out like yeah, straight away. It's uh, it's amazing. Isn't and it? growing up, my dad uh, worked really long hours and um, he worked seven days a week and so forth. So the rare occasion he'd have a day off, and my dad loves uh, to go to the races and. If it was like on a Wednesday would go to like the the metro meeting or whatever and he'd say oh look take the day off you know come with me and then he it was funny it kind of justified on the way in the car he goes look you're probably going to learn more today than you would at school you're going to learn a bit of maths you're going to learn a bit of equine you're going to learn a bit about the track the grass and this and it was just a bit of a laugh but it, but it's it's funny that the education you, you see it in different avenues I think that's exactly right you it's funny is what looking at what my parents did is my mum and dad made me work at the stables for from 12 till 18 I worked every Sunday there and then worked at least a week every holidays getting up at like 2 2 30 in the morning going out to the track walking the horse around the bull ring for like a couple of hours then yeah. getting them ready to go onto the track and coming back and feeding them and changing them and all like all the stuff that you have to do and I, I hated it I thought what this is mind numbing I'm like this is just so boring and and then when I went to the track I'm like why didn't I come and learn this to begin with yeah and I think the your dad was right in that you learn so much at the track in terms of probability different characters see the money changing hands but I think in hindsight they were right in that order in that one of the biggest things I think to being successful in business and and possibly in life is discipline and they gave me that discipline of going well you have to be up at this time all your friends are going out you have to be like at the track you have to walk around the bull ring for ages you have yeah. to do all this stuff that was i was like this is torture but that gave me really good discipline because they kept saying if you don't work your butt off then your opportunities are, are more limited and you've got to work hard it's really important where a lot of the you see a lot of the people that come to the track early is they see how easy money is because it looks like it's really easy to get at the track because you see people dealing in numbers that it's very hard to go and work for eight dollars an hour. Yeah. If you see that someone can win or lose a hundred thousand with one bet, and that people are making big money and they're driving nice cars, and that you can go to the track and be sucked into going, gambling's a really 
easy way to yeah, make definitely. money and it's not it's, yeah, it it's requires definitely not, a lot of yeah. discipline and, and that's uh, i think that's the the education piece but you're right in terms of going to the track and the lessons that are learned there uh, they're incredible yeah fantastic so um uh, tom we, uh, now obviously you you have your your, your tipping business um there was a, a point there obviously we've kind of glossed over a fair bit there but you you were taken over by william hill you're ceo of william hill australia there for a little bit what was your experience like in the in the corporate world rather than working for yourself i'm sure that would have been a huge especially coming from a family of everyone yeah. who works for themselves so william hill um they they bought tomwaterhouse.com after they bought the sporting bet center bet business yep and we were in earnout for a period and i and i just kept writing to the global ceo and and saying look um if I was running this business, I would do this, this, and this, really to try and make sure they did it so we get the highest earnout possible. Yep. And after a few months of writing, I didn't write him that often, but maybe every couple of months or every six weeks, I'd write and say, look, these are the things this business needs to, to do, in my opinion, to be successful. He said, well, look, we'll end the earnout on these terms on condition that you come and run these businesses that we bought here in Australia. And they spent $700 million buying the sporting bet business and they had 500 employees or whatever it was and two and a half billion turnover. It was a big business and Huge, yeah. I'd never had a job except working for my mum at the stables and yeah. then working as a bookie. And so I was like, well, that sounds pretty good. I've never done that before. That'd be a good thing to try. And my um, parents were like, what are you talking about, Tom? Why would you go and work for someone else? Yeah. Go and do your own thing or come back and work in the family and do... And, um, but I thought about it and I thought, well, look, it's good experience to do. And, and, um, and yeah, ran that business from 2014 to 2018 and learned so much because it was a far bigger organisation and the skill sets needed as a business grows is dramatically different to a small business. And the other thing that um, is before I worked um, running a business that size, I didn't understand some of the complexities and and of what these big businesses and when you deal with them uh, the complexities of trying to get things through and the advantages you have as a very small business and the disadvantages you have as a small business so i got to see the other side and then i also saw their ability to operate as a multinational and as a global company that we had as uh, william Hill australia we had offices in the philippines um uh, we had uh hub in Tel Aviv, we had a hub in New Zealand, in Queensland, Northern Territory, uh, Victoria, uh, Hong Kong. There was a whole variety of um, people, network of people of managing a business that wasn't in one office, wasn't small, and you knew everyone in, um, knew everyone's name. It was a big organisation in lots of yep. different parts and, and that was... Um, a real challenge but really exciting and also to see how amazing the talent pool is in like the Luxor Philippines we went from a couple of people to 200 people um, mm -hmm. there and, and had skill sets of whether it was back office finance to data and analytics to digital design um, to some trading functionality it was a really incredible the skill sets we did a whole bunch of development we built a, like a dot mobi site out of the Philippines uh, and also the cost difference of um employing people there is vastly different to here and uh, that was a uh, i was so thankful for the opportunity with william hill and and that they gave me to be able to run that business and see it and also the ability to have my brand back at the end of it was um yeah. i couldn't have asked for a, a, 
a better four years or a better learning experience in that time. Yeah. Yeah, the the global economy is huge. What uh, what do you think the global economy has in store for uh, betting as a whole, sports betting? Um, because uh, like uh, places, I guess it's it's gone through a weird cycle. So there's it's illegal in a lot of places, but you see the US now starting to to make it legal for sports betting in more states and and so forth. What do you think this global economy has in store for for betting? So one of the reasons why we started um, the gambling fund is, uh, and the gambling fund focuses on mainly listed. Um, wagering or gambling companies, investing in them. Uh, and also we do have the remit to look at uh, non-listed, but all our investments are listed at the moment. And basically we uh, allow or have um, people come into the fund and they invest alongside myself and, and the family in gambling companies. And uh, the reason why I like it so much is that, or like the sector so much, first they got the experience in the, in the sector, but secondly, People have gambled since the beginning of time and I, I'm pretty confident in 100 years that we're still gambling and it's very robust in tough times. It's not counter-cyclical, but people tend to gamble um, in very similar amounts, if not more, when the economy downturns. So I love it as a, as a hedge in some ways against what's happening across the other sectors. But I also love it in that not only is it robust good cash flow normally these these businesses but we're seeing a very interesting time because um you're seeing the opening up of and i think this is a once in a lifetime once in a generation period the opening up of the u.s which is if not the largest one of the yep. two largest markets possible in the world and so you're seeing that you've got a business businesses that we look at that um are robust in tough times or usually you tend to be but you've also got a massive growth opportunity in the u.s is opening up so our our fund really looks at um we look at we're looking at three different areas and the first one is we look at b2b businesses mm -hmm. business to business we yep. love this area because most of the investment banks don't cover um those businesses they cover the likes of tap corp or stars or or crown aristocrat yep. but they don't cover um some of the operators that provide the services to these gambling operations and i we have or we feel that we have a real expertise in that having run william hill and started up tomwaterhouse.com now a couple of times i know many of those companies that we have to integrate with and that are integral to making our business work that the general population uh, or the investment community doesn't know so we focus on those areas we've made a um uh, an investment in a company called Betmakers, um, which is a very interesting company, supplies a lot of the fixed odds racing data to the wagering operators in Australia, the UK, and now got deals in the US. Yep. I think this is a very interesting company. And uh, we love businesses that have got exposure um, to the US and we feel it can win. So Betmakers as a B2B business got exposure to the US. Yep. But we love looking at um, B2C businesses that... Uh, are focused and can win on a scale game in the US because we think that uh, Australia is a blueprint for how the US will roll out. Yeah. In that Sportsbet came to Australia, one of the few operators that have made money in Australia in the last 10 years. Yep. They bought an existing business, they kept the brand, they kept the team in place and they put their foot down on marketing. The business that they're owned by Flutter, Paddy Power, um, bought Fangil, kept an existing team, kept the brand, got the database of, of clients in the US, 
one of the only operators that have also got a fantasy sports business so they can advertise across state lines. Yeah. And they're putting their foot down when it comes to marketing and yep. already have 50% plus, well, circa 50% plus market share in New Jersey and yep. and are winning, it seems to be winning the scale game. So we've made a, an investment in, in them. Uh, and then we're also looking and yet to really um, get significantly involved in the area. But another area that we really uh, are starting to focus on is in esports. And the reason why we yep. like this sector so much is that it displays a lot of the characteristics of gambling and gaming. So this um, and the propensity to purchase or spend more of your dollars inside the game is growing and, and the amount of hours people are spending in, in this sector is significantly growing. It's, uh, it's basically the only um, stream in the entertainment sector that's significantly growing. Like yeah. watching movie time is decreasing. Huge, uh, yep. Yeah, where this people are spending countless hours watching this and and the way that they're monetizing and making it highly addictive to people to yeah. to spend time, but also spend money through those loot boxes is a uh, is a very interesting space and and something that we're f- we're spending time looking at, understanding, trying to see where the opportunities are. Yeah, yeah, it was massive because one of my favorite uh, sports media companies, Barstool Sports, yeah. recently were uh, had a huge share bought into by one of the major casinos. Yeah. Um, and I th- and I th- and I was looking at that, and that's what made me look into. And then it had to coincide with the the laws laxing in the US on sports betting because it's funny that uh, mentality you hear on movies like, oh, I owe my bookie this much, and it's very underground in the US. Yeah. And it's funny that what what you were touching on earlier about the advertising. It, it's so good in Australia that it is so heavily regulated that those underground things don't happen. So it's kind of like a it's a it's a weird one, isn't it? It's like you either. Yeah, well, you can the largest, regulate. The largest betting operators in the world now are cryptocurrency only. Yep. But an average Australian, they don't really need to go and find those operators because you can exactly. get the product here. Um, the, uh, I guess that the only reason why they would go to those operators is if they want to play online casino games. Yep. And also if they're finding restricted getting on here. Um, but uh, Australia... The, in my view, it's better to regulate and tax than it is to uh, just say you, you can't have it because yep. that underground market is become significant, as you can see in China and you, you, you saw in the US. Yeah, yeah, massive. Um, Tom, that's fantastic information. Now, a couple of, I guess, quick fire questions. Uh, favorite racetrack in Australia? Well, our best performing track at the moment um, for the TomWaterhouse.com tipping business is Morfordville. Yeah. Um, and uh, but I used to pref- like going to Hawkesbury. I love those bacon egg rolls at Hawkesbury, and yep. I love that short straight. And um, but our best performing track is Morfordville. Yep. Okay. Interesting. So your your favourite Hawkesbury, the, the old bacon and egg roll. I love, uh, I, I love those, and I also love the the tightness of that betting ring. There was, yep. It was a strong betting ring, but it was it was tight that it was easy to get on across yep. all of them. I, I haven't been to Hawkesbury for ten years, so oh, okay. it may have changed. Your, um, it's, yeah, your mum seems to have a few maidens uh, get up at Hawkesbury as well. Yeah. Um, interesting. Uh, probably both uh, like it the same. Um, international. Uh, you're a big fan of the Ascot just from talking to you. Is that your favourite in, in the whole world or, You know, uh, in I terms love, of racetracks? I love going to Royal Ascot because uh, there's some great meetings, uh, yeah. whether it's Hong Kong or the Ark or in Dubai. Um, uh, but the thing that is so good about Ascot is you've got the Queen, Yep. Obviously, having the yeah. family adds that, that like that glamour and, and racing so lucky to have um, the Queen and the Royal family's involvement. And, um, it's 
really the the center of you have people coming from all different parts of the world yep. coming to Royal Ascot. Um, it's in a great time of year in that the racing's died down here a bit. The Brisbane Carnival's finished, yeah. um, and the summer's really kicking off, and and London's really vibrant. But the thing that I love most about it uh, is that the betting is very strong. So the liquidity on Betfair is huge. The bookies, uh, like there's bookies there that will bet to win on it per bet a hundred thousand pounds. So you can really bet up, and um, and also it's um, a lovely start time. Like to have the races start after two o'clock in the afternoon, go every thirty minutes, six races a day, and you're back yeah. in London to to hit the town that night. It's a perfect mix of good mix, yeah. It's a perfect mix of of um, betting up and and also being able to have a a fun fun week out. Yeah, great. Um, favorite horse you like to watch or, or over the journey? I loved a horse called Dance Hero. Uh, Dance Hero, I, I, um, it was front-running, fast time. Um, it won the Triple Crown, won a couple of leagues of that in, in record time, won the Magic Millions. And it often didn't start favourite. You know, I, I didn't start favourite in the slipper. Um, and it was... I love those horses that run and don't need luck. You know, it, yeah. it just would... If you can catch me, great. But I'm running the fastest times two-year-olds have run in. <laughs> ever yeah you're probably not going to catch me you know so yeah and that's sort of how it, it ran and the market got it wrong um on most of it started starts as a two-year-old so i really liked it it's funny uh funny you say that it seems like that's one of your mum's philosophies as well loves to get out of get her horses out in front and, and keep going catch me if you can yeah well, it, well it's tj did the same gay's yeah. done the same and they're gay's got more group ones out of any living trainer and tj's got the most group ones out of any trainer and, yeah. and you see very few trainers a, a adopt those tactics and they obviously are they're obviously good at training horses but don't look, <laughs> at, the, don't look at the statistics yeah well it's it's a business of being first past the post and yeah. if you're in first place in the race you need to be beaten to yeah. to, to lose so but yeah i guess that uh it works that way one thing that I did uh, did forget to mention, and I guess it was huge, is um, in the height of your success on the track stuff, you did. There was a famous carnival in two thousand and eight that uh, you took more than any other bookie combined uh, on the track, but it didn't start off so well. And that was that Derby Day in two thousand and eight. I think was it Rebel Raider. It was a hundred to one. Got up, beat the dollar seventy five uh, favorite. Yeah. So look, we went down and, and my grandfather came down to Melbourne that day, and it was such a proud moment in that. My grandfather was the last Sydney bookie to come down to Melbourne in 1968. Yeah. So 40 years later, uh, there on the rails at Flemington and, and been able to get a, a rails position because I went to the CEO of the VRC and I said, look, um, I think you sh should make a special case to allow um, us to go onto the rails. Um, I'll hold $20 million over the four days of the carnival and and uh, be great publicity. And, and so got onto the rails and it was like this, what a moment here at Flemington Derby Day it was massive and there's such like um, excitement and anticipation for that that week and everything just went against us we lost on nearly every race and yeah. I remember doing two million dollars um, that day and my grandfather was fine he was but we had like big celebratory dinner celebration dinner planned that night at one of the nice restaurants there and um, at Crown and my grandfather said oh no I'm going I'm not I'm going to go to bed and we caught him in the food court like later that <laughs> night with a fanta and a hot dog and um and but w w lost the money but what was so concerning is that oh, 
was like, how can I lose that much money first day of the carnival? But had the call of the card and had all my big clients there at the call of the card and they were wanting to be back things to win two million plus dollars at the yeah. call of the card. And I was there on Monday afternoon after that and I'm like, if this goes against us, I could be down four or five million dollars after two days of the carnival. There's no way I can get yeah. that back. And, and so it was a very nerve-wracking time. But luckily... Um, viewed won the cup and and a fifty to one shot viewed, yeah. and things turned and it ended up being a good week and 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 the CEO of the VRC said to me I never believed when you came to me that you'd do what you said you were going to do in <laughs> yeah. terms of turning over the money but turned over more than all the other bookies combined and and uh, and yet yeah, my grandfather was right is once you reach that milestone of being able to bet at a certain level yeah. it's you can stomach it and you don't feel nervous or scared in the same way of being able to bet like that again. And uh, it's very difficult to get to that level. You need a, it takes time and uh, a lot of losses and wins to, to get Yeah, to. the spring carnival is massive and uh, I've attended all the events, but one thing I've never attended is the call of the card. And I've listened to it, I've listened in many times and the call of the card, the bets are absolutely astronomically huge and um, they're bigger than, I guess, you're allowed anywhere else or, or what the bookies would take you on. What's what's the call of the card like from a bookie's perspective? And you know, how does that feel when you're, when you're taking those bets on? So the, the call of the card's fantastic in that it's one of the few times that you can get on for decent money because the bookies have to beat you to win a quarter of a million the, um, per bet. And so like you can get on for a decent wager there. The problem with the call of the card, it, well, not the, the problem is is that most people have got their bets on way before, uh, and so the crowd go, well, look, I'm there. I don't want to back things to. The average person doesn't back things to win a quarter of a million or a million yeah. dollars. So they've had their like hundred bucks or five hundred bucks or whatever normally with their corporate account. The market's been out for a year, yeah. But before it used to come out only like you're getting a. A relatively new market yeah and so it's very difficult for the bookies point of view because they have all the sharks that want to come and back these horses yeah. for unlimited money but they haven't got the same fill-in money of the rank and file punter yeah and um so it's it's a very interesting to see how the call of the card plays out um over the next few years and and it's definitely it's definitely going to be difficult to see how it's managed but i, I love it personally because the bookies have to bet a decent amount but they had to bet that 10 years ago 20 years ago i remember yeah, watching okay. the tv and watching mark reed as a little kid back things to win a million dollars at the call of the card yeah. and a million dollars 25 years ago is <laughs> worth a lot more than a million dollars today and even letting people on to win two million dollars 10 years ago or 12 years ago now at the 2008 call of the card is a lot more than two million dollars it's a lot more two million dollars 12 years ago than it is now yeah and so uh, it, it's actually relatively small uh, Yet saying it's relatively small, it seems dramatically bigger than what those bookies are normally betting. And so whether it can work long term, I, I only hope that it can. Yeah, because it, it, yeah, it's such a, a, a historic event. It's, it's great. Yeah. And it's just great entertainment to listen into. Yeah. You just hear the, the big bets and it's funny. Um, but Tom, uh, you've got obviously your packages now, you're doing the tipping. Um is there anything you'd like to add on onto that stuff uh, for any of the, the the listeners? Like, what's the main advantage of, of dealing with someone like yourself? Look, I think the um, thing that we've done with the tipping packages that's interesting for people is that we've tried to cater for all different types of punters now. In that we used to have just the gold package when we first came out, and really to be a gold member, you're pretty serious on a Saturday because we're giving you twenty bets. Yeah. So you're like, I'm having lots and lots of bets. 
I'm focusing on the market. I'm going to be ready when Tom sends the tips. Um, but we've also introduced like packages that if you're not as serious but you like to have a punt, like our daily best package um, has performed, I think, since we started at 18% profit on turnover at the price available when we tip it. And all the data's on the website and you've got Google Sheets like you can track. The return's been really great for... Um, for our members but that suits someone that just goes well look i don't really want to spend much time but i'd like to get one better day and i'll just throw it on i don't have to be yeah. ultra jumping on when the price is there because i can back them at best of the best and historically they've shown good return um that suits someone that's not a, a bit more casual and so we've sort of set up packages that suit the hardcore keen punter that is really doing it maybe not as a profession but doing it very seriously and finding packages that suit someone that just goes look i'd like to have good bets but i'm not i'm viewing this as entertainment with a bit of an edge rather than and look the the results obviously obviously speak for themselves and and the fact that the bookies have dramatically changed the way they offer things since we've introduced these packages like is is disappointing to see in that it makes it harder to win on some of those packages we have to adapt but also positive in that the whole aim is for our members to become better betters and ultimately help them beat the bookies and if yep. we're forcing the bookies to adapt and change what they're doing well we're on the right track and and it's um i think it's really interesting because i was so lucky to have my grandfather and my dad teach me how to win at, at betting and win at bookmaking but most people there's no school for betting or school for bookmaking there isn't yeah and so that's what we're really trying to do is is show people how they can become better at, at betting. Yeah, fantastic. And if you want to uh, uh, look at the packages, tomwaterhouse.com. Just, yeah, just go to tomwaterhouse.com. Log online. You've got all the results there. It's easy to all sign up. All the results up. and, and yep. you can see like all the packages there. And, and um, yeah, it's, 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 it's really interesting. that I find that a lot of members go, I'd never thought about staking plans or discipline before or making sure I get the best price. I just have a punt. Yeah, and it, there's so much more to it if you want to win at it. Definitely. Uh, uh, just before we wrap up, what's uh, what's next for Tom Waterhouse? What's the the roadmap look like? So we're um, in the process of um, integrating into our app the ability for uh, our members and and punters to be able to bet through our app to any of the bookies in Australia and get the best price. Great. And the the whole thing is that people want tips but they weren't disciplined to go out and get the best price and i thought well it's a bit of a pain in the neck having to search around where's the best price being offered if i can just have in the app that they can look at any race and see okay well this is the best price in the market this is the best price available with the bookies i've got accounts with and it's seamless and they can do it in two two or three clicks yeah that has in my mind real legs because price comparison like bookings.com or Trivago, these type of things have worked across so many other industries but no one it's not mainstream in the gambling space yep and if it was seamless to get four dollars sixty rather than four dollars you'd always just take the best price exactly yeah most of the bookies don't want to offer that product because they're protecting their own margin for our thing for our business it's just offering making sure that our members and people that are with tomwaterhouse.com are getting the best experience because I know that if they're getting on at the best price and that they'll go, oh, well, actually, I can show return at this. Yeah. Tom's trying to make me a better better 
and hopefully they'll stick with us in terms of sticking with the tipping and stick with us on the journey of, of trying to beat the bookies for as long as as long as possible just makes complete sense um that that would be the the next journey but uh thank you so much for for taking this interview on on, on a short notice and also not knowing who i was I, no. I i appreciate it so much um it's huge thanks so much, um Sean. but thank you very much appreciate it thank no you thanks thanks Todd.